0: Welcome to the Arise Church podcast. For more details you can find us at arisechurch.com but right now we're going to hear a message from myself, our Wellington Campus Pastor Chris White. We really trust you'll enjoy today's message. Peace is needed more than ever, probably in our time. Peace is needed more than ever and we do know quite clearly that Jesus offers peace. Um, You've seen often uh, this bumper sticker and uh, on billboards around, I'm going to ask the team to just throw it up, often says this, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. It doesn't translate so well when you you say it out loud, but when you read it, it makes a lot more sense. I've definitely seen this on billboards uh, and churches in in, uh, the Hutt Valley and I tell you what, you can either go one or two ways, either you love it, you go, yeah, that'll get a million people saved. Or you're like, oh man, that is so cheesy. Uh, but but, there is a, but what it's trying to do is it's trying to express the truth. I mean, there's something clever about this. By the way, this doesn't translate into other languages so well, uh, just so you know. Um, that's good. Some people sitting here going, what is he talking about? But there we go. That's it. Uh, I mean, it's a clever play on words. But we often hear Christians say, you know, if the world just knew Jesus, then we would have world peace. And that sort of seems to make sense, you know. On the surface of it, that makes sense. But I would question that. I would say, I think there's some truth to that. But the truth is, I know plenty of Christians who don't have peace. I know plenty of Christians who are struggling, just like the rest of us, with anxiety, you know, Many of them are taking medication just like other people. Many of them are having to employ mindful techniques just like everyone else. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying if it was just a matter of knowing Jesus and we had peace, then something seems to be wrong with this picture. And so I want to I encourage us today that God has something incredible to say. Um, just this week, I was reading this passage uh, of, 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 of Scripture where Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And it's a, really amazing, it's a really amazing picture and an amazing story. Crowds are gathered. People are excited. This is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, uh, and he'd been publicly ministering for about three years at this stage. And he had, he had momentum. You know? uh, things were going well. They were going strong. And now in the city of Jerusalem, a big festival is happening. Everyone was coming. People are turning up. By the way, people would have been talking about, who is this Jesus? I mean, I, you often forget back in, that, that in those days, they didn't have photographs. There was no like, you know, someone wasn't going around with the sketch pad. This is what he looks like. This is what you'll see when he comes in, you know. They actually didn't know what he looked like. But they were wondering, who is this Jesus? We've heard about him. And then we see this scene. He comes in. Crowds are cheering. Big festival. I pick it up in Matthew 21 verse 8. And it says this. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. While others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered. By the way, it wasn't individuals who's answered. Now the whole crowd is in recognition. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. So it appears like things are going so well, you know. He's coming in the city. Everyone's cheering. This is a great moment. And then Jesus does something that's so out of character for this moment. He actually cuts across the whole moment. And we read about it in Luke's gospel, Luke 19, verse 41. And it says this. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Now, on one hand, you got this amazing moment. Crowds are cheering. Things are going really well. But in the middle of all that, Jesus stops and he weeps and he declares this horrible prophecy about the city of Jerusalem. And he even says, how today I wish you of all people would understand the way to peace. Why did he say you of all people? Well, what you've got to understand is Jerusalem literally means the city of peace. Now, I mentioned this to my brother-in-law this week. I said, man, did you realize Jerusalem means the city of peace? He goes, yeah, I knew that. He goes, oh, I obviously missed that memo. I just never knew that. This is the first time I discovered that that's what it actually means. It literally means city of peace. And why had they missed the way to peace? How had they missed it? Because it says in verse 44, because you didn't recognize it when God visited you. You didn't recognize it when God visited you. They had a visitation from God. God had come to encounter them. He turned up right in their midst. He's the God who had the opportunity through Jesus. We could have peace with God or we could have condemnation upon our life. And Jesus turned up in the middle of that. And he said, here is the way to peace. They had seen Jesus, but they had not encountered him in in his fullness. They were present when he arrived in the city, but they had not made him their personal Lord or their personal prince of peace. It was all just a surface level thing. As a result, this city was named after peace, had closed the door to peace. Peace had been hidden from them. When I was reading this, I thought, man, I never want this to be said about me. I never want it to be said about me that Jesus visited me, but I chose not to encounter him. And as a result, I closed the door to peace in my life. I never want that to be said. The first week of our series, uh, Pastor Ben Kendrew spoke about this incredible thing. Peace is available. Last week, I just emphasized the point that peace is a gift of God. We want it to rule in our lives. This week, I want to emphasize peace comes through encounter. Peace comes through encounter. Let's pray, shall we? God, I just thank you that you are our Prince of Peace. Lord, I thank you that peace is available in you. God, I thank you that you're actually holding out a gift of peace. And Lord, I pray that as we encounter you today, May you deposit peace in our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Encountering God is what changes our lives. It's that encountering of Him that changes us from the inside out. God breaks into our lives everybody without fail. He will actually impress Himself on everyone. Let me read this in Psalm 19, starting at verse one. The heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet, their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Just through nature alone, God has been speaking to all of mankind. To people who've grown up in the church and people who've had nothing to do with the church. To people who've had great families and people who've had disastrous families. God has been speaking to everyone. He's been talking about His wonder, His grace, His power, His might. He's been reaching out to all of mankind. But what He's been wanting is that we would encounter Him in His fullness. He doesn't want us to see Him on the surface. He wants us to encounter Him from the inside out. That's why encountering God is so powerful and so intentional in an environment like this here at Arise. You know, I, I don't know if you recognize, but, you know, our worship leaders will often, sometimes they'll just quietly try to coax you into the presence of God. Other times they'll grab you by the scruff of the neck and they'll go, man, we need to, we need to meet with God today, you know? Un, you know, unapologetically, that's what they're like. Uh, one of the worship leaders here at Arise, Nahan Randall, phenomenal guy. He has this phrase which goes something along these lines. He says, you know, uh, any worship leader can lead from a verse to a bridge, but we need worship leaders who can lead from the gate to the throne. That's what we need. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's exactly what we're after. And that's why worship leaders here will sometimes go, I want everyone to lift their hands. I want you all to that. We need to sing at the top of our lungs right now. You know, because why? Because they recognize that we walk in here with all sorts of things on our mind. They're thinking, I want to take you from where you are right now. You're at the gate. I want to pull you all the way to the throne room. Because it's in the throne room where we encounter God that we are changed from the inside out. And that's what we do here at Arise. So, if you wanted a church where you just come in and you maybe you sing some nice songs, hear a lovely message, and you go home, this is probably not the church for you, you know? But if you want to come and your desire is, I want to come into an environment where I meet with God, where I'm engaging with Him, where I'm changed from the inside out, where you're in the right place, because we all have a desire to meet with God, have Him come in and transform us from the inside out. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. So, let's come back to this passage, because what, what we're saying here is encounter needs to change us. It will change us from the inside out. So Jesus is saying, man, you've closed the door to peace. And on the surface of it, I don't, I don't get it because, man, they're all cheering. They're all saying, you know, Hosanna to the King of Kings. I I tell you what, if you were a worship leader on that day, uh, you know, you'd be like, hey, man, we'll the goal today. You know, man, sometimes I'm struggling with the guys who just got their arms crossed, got a scowl on their face. And I just, it's a goal if I just get them to lift one hand. But today, my gosh, they're cheering, they're yelling, they're throwing their cloaks down. They're, they're cutting off branches of trees. They're destroying the neighborhood, just chucking it all down. And whoa, man, we're going to make way for the king. Like, boom, we kicked the goal. Never do better than that. Uh, But the amazing thing is that Jesus, uh, you know, not with the gift of hindsight, but dare I say, with the gift of prophetic sight, recognized that just in a few days' time, this crowd that is cheering, you know, Hosanna to the King of Kings, will be yelled, uh, yelled out by a crowd that's just yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And he recognized this hasn't changed you at all. This is just on the surface. You haven't even encountered me. You're just here when I'm here. When we encounter God, we encounter love. And it starts to change the way that we think. It gives us a brand new meaning to our lives. It causes us to take another look at ourselves, the the way that we live. And we realize that we are made for much more than this. So what do we do? Well, we view our old, sinful, selfish ways of doing things differently. We suddenly realize, man, this is hurting my future. But it's not only hurting my future, this is hurting the heart of God. I don't want that anymore. And then what do we do? We repent. We change our ways. And I say that like it's just, we do it like that. Man, it's tough. But we start the journey. Why? Because we want Our love for God says, I want to live for Him. I want to live for Him. We stop viewing our lives like, you know, we're the main character of this small story. And we start to realize, no, 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 I'm a little character in this massive story of God. And I get to play a part in that. I'm so stoked by that. I'm excited by the fact that God does this. And we begin to see our lives in a new light. We begin the journey of doing things for God because we love Him. You know, not for ourselves because we love what we might have. This is what Encounter does. It changes us from the inside out. Man, we have uh, many environments here at Arise where we try to engage in that sort of thing happening. We've got one coming up for our teenagers called Summer Camp. And I get so, I get pumped by Summer Camp. Why? Because I've got a lot of, teen, lot of teenage kids, you know. And, uh, and, um, and I remember one particular Summer Camp. And look, any parent knows. Your kids will go through ups and downs. Sometimes you feel like winning. Other times you're like, oh my gosh, are we ever going to get there? You know what I mean? And, uh, and we look for God to break in. And I remember one particular summer camp, and at, we'd been there as a whole family. Anna and I were part of the parents' team. We got home from that camp, and uh, everyone's tired. You know, everyone's trying to unpack their things. And I noticed something happening in our household. Like one of my sons would call another one of my sons into his room, and they'd be there for like 20 minutes, half an hour. Then that son would come out, and I thought, whoa, what just happened in there? He called another family member. He went through every family member in the house until he called me in. He said, Dad, you need to come in here for a while. The presence of God is in here. I'm like, oh, man, sorry, a little bit emotional. But, man, I, I was there for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, and he just prophesied over my life. He just started to pray things over me, call things out. And me. You know, my son did that for me. Why? Because the power of God had come into his life. He'd encountered God. Now it had changed him. It had changed him from the inside out. He had this new confidence. He had this new sense of, God, you got something amazing to do. Eventually, our whole family found ourselves in one small bedroom. We were there, I don't know for how long, but by the time we ended, I'm pretty sure it was about 35 degrees in that room. It was so hot. We crawled out of that room and were like, what just happened? Because what happens when we encounter God, it changes us. From the inside out, we change the way we think. We change the way we believe. It changes our actions and what we do and what we say. John fourteen fifteen says this. If you love me, obey my commands. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. If you love me, obey my commandments. That is pretty explicit. Jesus is telling us if we encounter him, it should change us. And if it changes us, then we want to show our love towards him. And as we show our love towards him, then we get filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Well, let me read it out. Galatians five twenty-two. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In case you missed it, we're on a series on peace. And God's Holy Spirit produces peace in our lives. Can I just jump in at this point and say, I, I want to help some people out. Some people are feeling uneasy. They're like, I love this message, peace is a gift, I'm into that. But I struggle to hear the part that God is looking for obedience to Him, so He can fill us with His Spirit. Surely, isn't God's love unconditional? Well, yeah, God's love is unconditional, but God's peace isn't. It isn't unconditional. Can I make sure you heard me right? God will always love you. No matter what you've done, no matter what actions you've taken, He will always love you. No matter what you do in the future, what choices you make, He is always open to you. His arms are open wide. He loves you, wants the best for your life. But His peace, that takes another route. That takes another route. Some decisions we make, some actions we take, will not bring peace in our lives. They'll bring chaos. They'll bring conflict. They'll bring turmoil. They'll bring distress. But if God is saying, if you show me that you love me by obeying my commands, I will send my Holy Spirit to you who produces the fruit of peace in your life. And if you want peace in your life, He's given us a very clear pathway. I just want to dive in at this point, and and some people are probably thinking to yourselves, you know, so they struggle with this notion that I need some direction from God to really love them. That I need to follow his commands so he really understands. I mean, if it's really love, then won't I do it naturally? Won't I just do it naturally? Um, For any married couple who's been married for more than three minutes, uh, you'll recognize that maybe this is not always true. Uh, we got this phenomenal couple who are part of our Wellington campus. I'm not going to mention their names For for today's purpose, I'm going to call them Derek and Rachel, okay, just because I don't think we have a Derek and Rachel in our church, and uh, and Anna and I have spent uh, a lot of time with this this couple. They've inspired us in terms of their marriage, inspired us in terms of parenting and how they do life, and uh, this couple now have all their kids have left home. And for some parents, that's like, oh, my gosh, we made it. You know, yes. You know, all these years of toil and strife. And now we've got here. And then they end up looking across the living room like, and who are you? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Uh, But this couple is nothing like that. They have kept this closeness. In fact, they've got closer as their relationship have gone on. Everything has caused them to drive together. Now, there's many things that have done this for them. But one of the things is this. They are really good at speaking directly to the other person and saying, if you do this, it will really help me know that you love me. They're very, very clear. Now, for many couples, you might think, that sounds so fake. That's like, shouldn't you just know? Shouldn't it just be instinct? Well, I tell you what, you know, many couples already have got little rice smiles on their faces because they're like, man, I've been trying to work out for 25 years, you know, what it is. It helps my wife know that she—that I love her, you know, and, uh, and and we're complex beings, you know, uh, you know, uh, like." You read books like Love Languages, and you think there are actually multiple love languages. Now you read more books, they're saying, Hey, you might have the same love language, but there's multiple dialects. I'm like, How deep do we go here? But the truth is, it can be so hard sometimes for our spouse to know, or you know, our partners to know that you love them uh, from what you do. So, how do Derek and Rachel approach this? Derek and Rachel. Um, So, her birthday might be coming up. So, this is what she does. She uh, she makes sure very clear. She has a conversation with her husband a few weeks in advance. She goes, "Hey, you know my birthday's coming up, you know. So that what you're going to need to do is you need to get really prepared. I really want a birthday gift. That's going to be really important to me. And then we need to do something really special on the day. You know, some people are thinking, uh, you know, they're shocked by this. I'm thinking this is genius." You know, I need all the help that I can get, you know, so help me out here. Help me to love you. Help me to love you. I don't know if that sounds familiar, but anyway, you know, so that's what we need. And so what does he do? He starts getting ready, starts getting prepared. You know, this guy's like, man, we're going to win this time, you know. Uh, Then a week out, she sends a reminder text. She goes, (laughs) I recognize by now you've probably already got the gifts sorted if you haven't. You got running out of time because on Friday, it's my birthday. And at five o'clock, I just want you to know I will finish work. And that's when you'll probably take me out for an amazing dinner. It's going to be an incredible night. So then, of course, the the birthday comes along. Well, her husband is well prepared. He's sorted a phenomenal gift. He's now also finished work a little bit earlier. So at five o'clock, he's outside her work. He picks her up. They take a nice drive around the base. Go to a special restaurant that she has never been to before. He's winning people. This is so good. Some people are like, "Man, you need to take note of this." Can you hear me? Um, you know. You know. Can I can I ask a couple of questions? Is the gift of true expression of his? Is this a Is this a true expression of his love towards her? Absolutely it is. He's put time and effort into this. He's thought about it. He was prompted along the way, but he did all the work. He made it happen. His wife helped him to hit the mark. What about her? Does she feel like, oh, he's just ticking the boxes, you know, that's all he's doing? No, 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 no. She's given him plenty of warning, but she sees the time, the effort, the energy that he's put in. She's experiencing it, and it fills her love tank, and they've hit the mark together. And praise God, because now we've got a great marriage happening. This is so awesome. But the same is true of God. The same is true of God. He has not left us in the dark as to how we show our love towards Him. He's been very clear, very explicit. If you love me, obey my commandments. That'll help me know. Check it out in John fourteen twenty one. The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. He's very clear about that. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. I will make myself real to him, real to him. Now he's saying, if you want greater depth, man, do what I command, and we will have a greater depth than you have ever known before. I tell you what, that is going to bring peace into your life when your relationship with God is going forward. It's not stepping backwards, but now you understand Him. He's revealing more of Himself to you. That's something incredibly powerful about that. God's desire is that we would hit the mark, and He's going to help us to understand how to get there. There's some phrases used in the Bible um, that help to describe this, and they can be little masks. We don't always understand them off the bat, but this is what righteous living is. Uh, this is when we live in accordance with the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. And what's the result? Well, among other things, it's peace. Yeah. Romans 8 verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, there's that phrase I spoke about, have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and what does it say? Peace. Say it again a little bit louder. Peace. That's it. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. When we live in accordance with the Spirit, the result is peace. God spells it out. In Isaiah 32, check this out. Verse 17. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. There it is again. And the result of righteousness will be quietness and confident trust forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful surrounding and in secure dwellings and in an undisturbed resting places. When we live in righteousness, it will bring peace to our lives. So how does this righteousness, how do we live in it? How do we live in accordance with God's Word, God's Spirit, and so bring peace into our lives? And if the band could come and join me, that'd be great. Number one, let's obey the Word of God. It's pretty simple. I, I'm sorry if today's message is not really complex, you know, but, um, but this is the level of my understanding. And uh, I'm sure it's still helpful to us. We don't always follow God's Word. Why? Because we don't always know it that well. Can I encourage you? It's a great starting point. If you want to find peace with God, if you want to know how to love Him, read His Word. Find out what moves His heart. Find out what's on his mind. Find out what means something to him. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Peace comes to those who live out God's word. Psalm 119 again says this Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands for that is where my happiness is found. Man, that's a great word. That is where my happiness is found. Give me eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from the worthless things and give me life through your Word. Can I be even more specific? How do we live out God's Word in our life? Let's do this. Stop doing the things that God has told you to stop. Can I just be as simple as that? And I'm, I, By the way, I'm not wanting to heap guilt on anyone. All of us need to hear this. All of us need to understand this. Some of us simply need to stop doing the things that we know is wrong. There's this incredible story where Jesus was confronted with a woman who committed adultery. I'm going to read from this passage. And there's so much to understand in here. John chapter 8, starting verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus. This is, by the way, Pharisees, the religious leaders. This is these guys who are saying this. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Can I just say, often when it comes to sin in our life, we complicate things. We just try and make things a little bit more complex so we can kind of hide it a little bit. Because we don't want to face it. Can I say the Pharisees here, they weren't concerned about the law of Moses. They weren't even concerned about this woman. Jesus was threatening them. Not intentionally. But they'd been the ones who everyone looked to up to this point. They'd been the high and mighty ones. People went to them for their wisdom. And now they recognized they were looking to him for his wisdom. They needed to pull him down. They didn't know how to do that. So they decided they'd set a trap for him. If he said, no, ignore Moses, then they knew he was out. But if he condoned stoning a woman, how heartless would that have been? They knew they had him trapped. But I love the genius of Jesus. And he sees through it all. And he just says, yeah, go ahead. He who is without the first sin, without sin, you can cast the first stone. And he called it out on them. He said, hey, guys, she's not the only one who's done something wrong here. Each of you, you've got something hidden inside of you. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. They all leave. And these words are so amazing. In the end, John 8, starting at verse 10, and Jesus stood up again, said to the woman, where are your accusers? Did even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, and hear this clearly, neither do I. I don't condemn you. Does he leave it there? No, no, no. But go and sin no more. He doesn't complicate it. He simplifies the whole thing. I'm not going to allow you to keep doing it. I'm not going to condemn you for it, though. I'm going to forgive you. But do this. Go and sin no more. Maybe there's some people in this room and you've, there's something going on in your life you know has been hidden. And in this moment, it's like the Holy Spirit's brought it to the surface. I tell you what, if we could simply just go and stop whatever that is, I guarantee you'll find more peace in your life than you have done the whole time you've been trying to hide it. God is going to bring peace to you. Peace and a storm that has been raging. For some of you, it's been raging for years. For some of you, it's only been recent. But God wants you to lay that storm down. He says, you need to let go of it. Go and sin no more. I know that sounds easy, but I tell you what, at least start the journey. At least start the journey. The last thing is this: start doing the things that God has told us to start. Again, this is incredibly simple, eh? Look, there's not big depth here, but I think this is incredibly powerful. We need to start doing the things that God has told us to do. In the book of Second Kings, it tells us amazing story about a Shunammite woman. She gets us herself in a really tough spot she goes to the prophet I'm not going to read it from the, from the scripture but it's 2 Kings chapter 4 she says my husband's died but he's left this amazing debt now the debt collectors are coming after me they want to take my sons what do I do? and the prophet says aunt why do you come and ask me? but then he gives her instruction he says what do you have? she says I've just got a jar of oil he goes well I want you to go and collect as many other jars from your neighbours as you can then I want you to go and shut yourself in your home with your sons. I want you to start to pour out that oil into every jar. And God did something miraculous in that moment. Every time a new jar came, she poured out and it would fill that jar. they get another jar. She poured out, it would fill that jar. they get another jar. Poured out. What was that? That was the provision of God. Miraculous provision of God. And then He said, Once all the jars were filled, He said, go and sell that, pay back the debtors, and you can live on that for the rest of your life, you and your sons. Miraculous. Every now and then God tells us to do something, and sometimes we ignore it. Why? Because it's inconvenient or it makes no sense to us. But I tell you what, God is above that. God is calling us to something last sunday night Candice spoke in our 5 p.m service incredible message she said something along these, these lines she said god every now and then will command us in the form of, of instructions and you need to understand it is not optional you know she like gave us all a big boot in the butt she said it's not optional it is mandatory she described the fact that you know what we live in these worlds where we have choices in our western world your choices of employment You've got choices of homes. You've got choices of what food you're going to buy at the supermarket. And then we relegate doing the will of God as a choice as well. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But God's saying, if you do it, you will find peace in your life. Right across this room, can we just stand to our feet? God wants to move in your life. God has great plans for you, great purposes for you. He wants us, though, to respond to Him, encounter Him. As we encounter Him, our lives are changed. As we respond to Him and we do what He commands us, His Spirit comes in our life and we have peace. Thank you for joining us for the Arise Church podcast. We hope this message has blessed you. For more content or resources, visit AriseChurch.com. Mateo See you soon.